Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. We hope to challenge and equip you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus through these messages from our weekend worship gatherings. We are so glad you're joining us for our summer series at Vintage Church as we examine the life of Jesus through the eyes and experience of his most beloved disciple, John. We hope that you are curious and committed as we take a closer look at Jesus and reflect on what it means to live and love like Him. Well, welcome to Venice Church, whether you're in the room, whether you're watching online. Um, my name is Matt, and right now, for the 12th time, we are preaching a series that is now called Live Love. The very first time I preached it 12 years ago in September of 2008, we called it Vintage 101. <laughs> Uh, because it was simply that. In, in September of 2008, our church hadn't even officially launched yet, but a small group of us of about maybe 20 started hanging out on Sunday mornings at Southern Guilford Middle School, just deciding to have church. And the year leading up that, from, 2000 and, from the summer of 2007 to the fall of 2008, a lot of what you're gonna hear in this series was God writing it on my heart. We had no money, we had no office. There were so many months that like, I was just hoping for a paycheck. Because I don't know if y'all know this, but for the first three years of this church, the, my salary was not paid by the tithes and offerings of the people who attended it. I, I raised my support. I went to everybody I had ever met in my life and said, would you give me money? Literally, like I went around and just asked people to commit to give five, 10, $20 a month. And, and once I got people to commit to that, that was my salary for the, for the first three years of this church. So not a single dime that was brought in by the people that attended the church for the first three years, like went to pay my salary. I, I raised it and literally, I, I never forget, there was a lady in the, in the Ramsour uh, area who sent me a $5 money order every month for three years. She would go to the Western Union at Lowe's Foods that used to be in Ramsour. And this is what's the kicker, she didn't drive. So every single month, she had to get somebody to take her to Lowe's to get a money order made out to $5 to Vintage Church, and she did it faithfully. That has meant more to me than some people who wrote $5,000 checks. Now I'll take the $5,000 check. But that's what we did. And, and so we got together and for, from September of 2008 until we officially launched in February of 2009, what you're hearing in this series are the things that I just tried to drive home and those first people that called Vintage Church home. And so every year we, we, we come back to that and eventually it would evolve to what we call live love because that, those two words are two words that summarize our vision. In case you're new to our church, we exist for one reason. The same reason we existed then, the same reason we exist now, the same reason we will exist, Lord willing, 10, 15, 20, 30 years from now. I won't be here, but somebody will be leading this church, I hope, to continue to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. That's why we're here. We exist to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. And, and it may seem redundant to y'all that we come back to this every year, but we have to because we have to stay on mission. Because if we've established over the last couple of weeks, mission matters most. While we're here is more important than, than what we do. Because if we lose while we're here, what we do doesn't matter. You with me? Say amen. And so every year we, we retreat back to these things. And in preparation for this series every year, I do what I did that caused this whole thing to start from the beginning. 
I start reading through the book of Acts. You ever read through the book of Acts? Like when you, that, that book that, that follows the gospel of John and is right before Paul's letter to the Roman church, the book of Acts, which is literally the Acts of the Apostles. It's the, it's the first followers of Jesus taking what Jesus had done in their lives and, and being so committed to the mission that he gave them. And see that inspiring people to live in love like Jesus, I, I didn't make that up. I didn't come up with that. Jesus did. See, the church, no pastor gets to decide why the church exists because Jesus already made that decision. And it's the, it's the, every church has the same mission. It's supposed to. Every church has the same mission. God was very clear about why the church exists, but he left a lot of room for us to figure out how. Because how the church accomplishes its mission from generation to generation and context to context has to evolve to keep the movement moving. And if you go into the book of Acts, what you find is, we talked about last week, there have been things from the onset to kind of derail this thing. There have been moments when the mission was threatened and the movement could have come to a screeching halt. But the people that were entrusted with this thing from the beginning were so committed to why it existed that they didn't allow it to move. And when you walk, when you walk through the book of Acts, what you see is something beautiful something that I longed for. And that's why we call this thing vintage church. <laughs> when we were at the middle school, I used to put out feather banners. Y'all have heard this story. Y'all have heard all these stories. That's okay, you'll hear them again. Or some of y'all knew when you hear them for the first time. We used to put feather banners out every Sunday at vintage church when we were at the middle school. And one day I'm out putting the feather banners out and this lady pulls up, comes screeching into this parking lot in a gold Corolla. Why do I remember the gold Corolla? Anyway, she pulls down the window and she says, What's a vintage church? Is it like an old-timey church? I said, yes, ma'am, it is. <laughs> now, I don't know if she ever came. She probably walked in thinking, where is that dude that told me this was an old-timey church? But if you look up the word vintage in the dictionary, it means representing the high quality of a pastime. And there was such beauty in the book of Acts that I hoped what we would be a part of would be something that would reflect that. That what we would see in little old Randleman would somehow cause us to think that that looks like that. That we would, we would open up scripture and, and read through the book of Acts and feel like that feels like my church. That feels like what I get to be a part of. And in 12 years, there have been moments that that's felt like that and moments not so much. But as you read through the book of Acts, what you see is the church is something of beauty, but it's also something when you do it right, gets really messy. Church is messy. It's messy. If you live on mission, it's gonna get messy. And maybe the reason why the church doesn't stay on mission is because when it gets messy, it's easier to abandon the mission than deal with the mess. Because when you start reaching lost people, guess what? You might come to church and hear a cuss word. I'll never forget when the first times I ever went to our student ministry, I, I heard some choice words within the first five minutes. You know what I thought? This is awesome. <laughs> because there are actually students here that don't yet know Jesus and we get to help them find him. See, the goal of your life isn't to completely eliminate lost people from your circle of influence. Because if you do, how will you keep living on mission? It's messy. It's messy. 
And when you read through the book of Acts, you see that it gets messy. And it gets most messy when, when the, the mission starts going outside of Jerusalem. When it finally gets to the point where because of persecution and pressure, people have to kind of break outside the little Jewish bubble that the church began in and start reaching people that come from different backgrounds, people from different religions. And when the church gets most messy is when those people from those other religions start finding Jesus and the people that were entrusted with this thing in the beginning don't know what to do about it. Go to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. Now understand, right now, the, the mission has moved outside this small little geographic circle. Stephen has been stoned and the believers have scattered and everywhere they went, they took the gospel with them. And now it's not people that were, had this Jewish background and knew all the Jewish law and knew all the Jewish customs and knew all the things that they were and weren't supposed to do. And they start coming to know Jesus. And this pivotal moment happens in Acts 15. Acts 15, verse 1. says, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. I'm just going to let that soak in for a minute. The people that are giggling get what just happened. Unless you are circumcised According to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. In verse two, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. This is a pivotal moment, y'all, where the church has got to make a decision because there's this thought where you can't go just from lost to found. You can't go from unbeliever to fully following Jesus. You got to go salvation, circumcision, baptism. Again, I remind you, no man's choosing Jesus if that's what you got to do. Like you've got to go from lost to Jew to Christian. And they're starting to kind of, and this is one of those moments they've got to make a decision. What are they going to do? These new people that are coming into the family of God, these new people that are finding hope and faith and trust in Jesus, these people that are hearing about the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for their salvation, they're hearing that they can have a relationship with God. But to do that, their sins have to be dealt with. And the good news is their sin has already been dealt with by the one and only son of God. His name is Jesus who died on a cross and he shed his blood so that you can be forgiven. And whether you're Jew or Greek, whether you're this color or that color, no matter your background, if you will put your faith and trust in his sacrifice, you can have a relationship with God. And guess what? That's appealing. (laughs) And so they start coming to faith in Jesus. And those people that already knew him are going to make a decision right here. What are we going to do for these people who are now finding Jesus? Are we going to pile up new requirements on them in order for them to be a part of us? Now, y'all have never experienced any of this before. Come on. Before we kind of let them in our doors, what are we going to make necessary, required, for them to belong to us. And there is literally this debate over what has to happen and what doesn't have to happen, what's, what's gonna be required and, and what's not. And the church has this pivotal moment. And if they get this wrong, if they get this wrong, what will happen to the movement? Go to verse seven. 
Acts chapter 15, verse 7. It says, after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have ever been able to bear? No, we believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Says we're, we're trying to pile all these requirements and all this law and all these things on them. Have you not realized your whole life you have not been able to follow those things? And now we're gonna dump all this on them and just further frustrate them as they're trying to find faith. That that law that was given, its main purpose was to show the divide between God's holiness and our brokenness. And in this moment, they have to make a decision. Go down to verse 19. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. And there they have to write this letter and they come up with these things that are gonna be what's important and what's not. And in that moment, the church faced a, a battle that for centuries we failed to fight properly. See, from the onset of the movement of Jesus, we've had to determine what's gonna be essential and what's going to be non-essential. And see, what, what the early church had a really good way of handling this is they, they, knew, they knew when to be rigid and where to be fluid. They, they had to make this decision. If we're gonna keep this thing moving forward and it's gonna continue to grow and lost people are gonna continue to be found, we've got to decide what's essential and what's non-essential. What's absolute for everybody and where we can have room to disagree. And can I just say, this is a battle the church has failed at for centuries. Come on, somebody. That we, we have, we're really good at fighting all the wrong battles. We're really good at dying on unworthy hills. And in the beginning, the church had to make this decision. Okay, what's, what's gonna be essential? What's gonna be absolute? Where are the, what are the things that we, we know we have to be rigid about? The things that we have to dig in our heels and, and not budge. And what's gonna be things that, you know what? People get to have liberty. There is a time for a measure of personal conviction. What are gonna be the non-essentials? And we've got to make this decision. And what we've got to do is not let differences in non-essentials divide the church, which we've been really good at allowing to happen. Come on, somebody. And there's a reason why I have these buckets two different sides. Could I just, can I be really honest? I think there is more things that we can disagree on than we have to agree on. But the things that we have to agree on 
we have to agree on. And what the church is, is, is doing in this moment is Peter's having to decide, all right, if, if we make all these things essential, if we start pouring the non-essential things into the essential bucket, I feel like we're gonna make a mistake. Or if we say, no, everything's non-essential. Nothing is absolute. Then we make an even bigger mistake. Are y'all with me? And see, what we've done for, for decades is we've spent so much time arguing about these things. And we've let the non-essential divide us. While we do church, essential. We're gonna be rigid about. Inspiring people to live and love like Jesus, that's in this bucket. Come on, it's the essential. How we do church, what it looks like, what kind of room it's in, what kind of music we do. See, we've, we, for years I was told some things that were essential I now believe deeply to be non-essential. It's essential that the pastor wear a shirt and tie. I happen to believe a pastor can wear jeans and vans. That <laughs> you can't, do you get what I'm saying? And see, when, 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 if we're going to accomplish our mission, we have to settle these things of what's essential and what's non-essential. And there's a set of what we call core beliefs here at Vintage that are things that are without a doubt in this bucket. <laughs> They're the things that we've been teaching from day one. And I just wanna, I wanna quickly walk you through them. Now, the things I'm gonna walk you through right now, they're not the only things in this bucket, but they're the main things in this bucket. And they're the things through which everything else is filtered to determine which bucket they go in. Does that make sense? Our core beliefs. Number one is the authority of Scripture as the Word of God. That's essential. That's essential. This is not just a book, these are not God's suggestions. That from Genesis to Revelation, this is the Word of God, written by people but authored by God. It is inerrant, it is infallible, it is the word of God. And let me tell you why I always start here is because everything else that you decide which bucket it goes in determines what you believe about this. Because if you use culture to decide what goes in which bucket, you'll put the wrong things in the wrong bucket. See, the scripture, not culture, is how we decide which go, what goes in which bucket. Scripture as the word of God. And Jesus made some really bold statements about this. Matthew chapter five, verse 17. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. That this is the word of God. And to know any of it, you have to have an understanding of all of it. 
You have to have a context for everything that it says. It's an essential. And as you open up this book, what you find is the, the, one of the main essential things that we have to hold on to is when you read this book, you discover there is one eternal God who created all things and exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is one God, and it's not you. Because you, you know the God that we most have to fight against is the selfish one in our own heart. You want to sit on the throne of your life more than anybody else. Come on. There's one God. The next line really matters too, who created all things. He's the creator God. That matters. He created you. You were made in the image of God. That, un, that opens a whole nother group of essential things that we don't have time to unpack. But as you drive into Genesis, you realize that, that there's one God who created all things and he created us to live in relationship with him. He created Adam. And the first time that God said it wasn't good for man to be alone, he created Eve and he established marriage in the Garden of Eden. And in that moment, he, we lived in, in perfect communion with each other and with him. There is one God who created all things and he exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That it is a triune God. Not three individual gods, but one God that exists in these three expressions. And if you get anybody that can explain the Trinity to you, can I just say they're wrong? <laughs> because this is this complex mystery of God. Because if you could explain all there is to explain about God, then you would no longer need him. For those of you who are waiting to have all your questions about God answered before you believe him, if you, can, if you can answer all the questions, why would he even be worthy of your belief? He is so much grander than what your, no offense, teeny little brain <laughs> can comprehend. One God if you read through Genesis and you go through, this is, I have some scriptures in here and Tony running per presenter, I'm gonna skip over those because it's all throughout scripture. But what you see very quickly is that sin severed our relationship with that God. Genesis chapter three, verse one. See, this is an essential, that sin, that God wanted to live in relationship with us and he gave us the power of choice in the garden of Eden. Why? Because he wants a sincere love relationship with you and sincere love is always chosen. But sin, sin severed our relationship with God. Genesis 3, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? See, the enemy will always try to get you to question what you know God has already said. He'll try to get you to doubt what you know. The woman said to the serpent, we, can, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Verse four, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband 
who was with her and he ate it. And right there in that moment, men, we failed to be the leaders we're supposed to be from the onset. See, we want to blame Eve. Oh, Eve ate the apple, but we were there too, paying attention, not doing anything and just let it happen. Verse seven, then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and coverings for themselves. Then the man said to his wife, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And in that moment, the, the relationship that we had with God was severed and there was separation between him and us. Sin severed that relationship with God. And it's a choice that every human has made. But the good news is, that God had a plan from the beginning to save us and make us right with God. But the next essential thing is salvation is found in Christ alone and is a free gift of God, God's grace. That the only way to be made right with that God, the God that created us to live in relationship with him is through what Jesus did for us on the cross. We don't all believe in the same God, all these different religions. And there's not multiple paths back to that God. It may seem exclusive, but it's an all-inclusive invitation. That sin severed our relationship, but salvation is found in Christ alone, and you can't earn it. You can never be good enough. You can't do enough good things. You can't serve your way back to him. You can't be good enough to get back to him. No, the only way that you can be made right with God, an essential thing is salvation is found in Christ alone and it is a free gift of God's grace. Goes in this bucket. It's essential. 1 Timothy 2. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all people. That the authority of God's word, the authority of scripture as God's word, when you read that word, you find that there is one eternal God who created all things and who exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And sin severed that relationship that we have with God. And the only way back to that God is through the salvation offered to us by grace through Jesus. But something else we believe to very, be very essential is salvation leads to transformation. That's an essential for us. That salvation isn't the end, it's the beginning. Salvation isn't the end. Salvation... Look at me. I know this is gonna sound weird to some people. God's goal for us was not just salvation. It was transformation. God from the onset wanted to restore us to the way he intended us at the beginning. He didn't wanna just save us. He wanted to transform us. You've heard this passage your whole life, 2 Corinthians chapter five. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. When Jesus saves us, he doesn't make you better. He makes you new. Sal salvation leads to transformation. And we live with urgency because another essential thing is everyone spends eternity in either heaven 
the fullness of God's presence or hell, the total absence of God's presence. That's an essential. Heaven is real, hell is real. Hebrews nine, just as people are destined to die once and after that face judgment, that we were built for eternity. First Corinthians 15, 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. That in the essential bucket, there are some things for us that we call our core beliefs. And again, this is not an exhaustive list, but everything else that goes in this bucket flows out of those things. The authority of scripture as the word of God. And in that word, we find there is one eternal God who created all things, who exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And sin severed the relationship that he wanted with us. And the only way to deal with that sin and make us right with him is salvation in Christ alone, a free gift by his grace. And that salvation isn't the end. Salvation leads to transformation. As long as we're alive, God is molding us and forming us into who he created us to be. Because everybody spends eternity somewhere. In heaven, the fullness of God's presence, or hell, the complete absence of God's presence. Those aren't negotiable. Those are essentials. Those are things, there's some things that we can't disagree on. The things I've just walked you through are things that as you walk through this book, we deeply believe as a church are the essential things. And as we continue to move forward as a church, there's a lot about us that's going to evolve. But we can never put essential things and make them non-essential. And as contemporary and as modern as we feel in this church, there are things that God has said that are absolutes that will always be true, whether it was three years after Jesus ascended or 30 years or 3000 years. And y'all, we live in a culture where we're trying, see, we're, we're for a long time as a church, we tried to make everything essential and nothing non-essential and it hurt us. I'm worried that as a culture, now as a church, we're trying to go the other direction in order to please people and reach people. And we think it's love but that's not love, it's a lie. There are things that are essential and will always be essential and we can never move from them. And as God molds us and moves us and grows us into who he wants us to be as a church, we have to hold on to the essential things. And part of the reason why we're having trouble figuring these things out is because so many of us, we stopped at salvation and thought that was enough. And we're not growing in our faith to be able to discern what's essential and what's not. We're not, we're not taking ownership of our discipleship to, to lean into that first thing to know what, what, does God's, what does God say about sex? What does he say about marriage? What does he say about life? What does he say about all these issues? What does he say? Not what do you feel or what is culture trying to, what does he say? Because the moment we let non-essential swallow up the essential, we're no longer on mission. We might be filling a room, but we're not filling up heaven. 
And it can't be something that I'm committed to. It's gotta be something that we're committed to. Are you living like there are things that are essential? Or are you making compromises and you're, you're, you're pouring some of the essential things into the non-essential bucket and like being okay with it? If we're gonna continue to inspire people to live in love like Jesus, we gotta keep the right things in the right bucket. And when I say we, I mean us as a church and you as the people that call it home. So Father, I pray that you would help us to have the wisdom and discernment to grow in our faith, to lean in to the relationship that we have with you, to dive into your word, to look at it holistically, cumulatively from Genesis to Revelation and let you write on our hearts the deep theological things that matter. That God, you have said there are things that are absolute and eternal, essential. God, we don't, we don't wanna die on the wrong hills, but we wanna fight the necessary battles to protect who you are and what you've desired for us. And so God, I pray that even as we worship you this morning, you're writing those things on our hearts. God, speak to us. Help us to have a better understanding of who you are and grow us up, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We hope that what you experience today inspires you to live and love like Jesus. Stay connected with what's happening at Vintage and grow deeper in your faith by downloading the Vintage Church app. Through this app, you have access to sermon notes, upcoming events, devotionals, additional podcasts, and opportunities to connect in community. You can easily download our app by going to app.vintagechurch.net. We hope you join us again soon.